Father, we're so grateful to be here on this day that we celebrate the birth of a Savior. We know he wasn't born this day. We're not celebrating this day as his birth. But this day, we celebrate for the birth of a Savior. We thank you, Lord, for sending uh, your son to this earth. We thank you for coming down off that throne, walking this earth like as us, dying that we might be redeemed back to fellowship with you. Father, this day, let us count our blessings, for among all men we are most blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're not doing a Christmas accounting, but we're doing a Christmas accounting, okay? So I know I love to confuse people right at the very beginning. So this is the season, the season of peace on earth and goodwill towards men. When Jesus was born, that was what the angels said. Yet we so often only have good towards goodwill towards those we know, those that are close to us, those that are in our circle. We do. That's, that's a human nature thing. But Jesus is going to give us a lesson on that as he also schools the religious leaders. This morning, we're going to look at some men who thought they might want to verbally spar with Jesus. <laughs> I never recommend doing that. Verbally sparring with Jesus or God will not end well for you, guaranteed. God and Jesus are far better at the words, the wording, the arguments, and the logic than you and I will ever be. The scribes and the Pharisees, they always thought they were going to trip him up. They were going to catch him in some words where they could accuse him and kill him before his time. They were. He came for one purpose and one purpose only, to die on that cross. And along the way, he showed the people some kindness. He touched hearts, minds, and lives. He made a difference on the face of this earth, and it didn't matter whether he knew them or not. It only mattered that they believed. That's it. The scribes and the Pharisees, they always thought they were going to trip him up. Yet, just as most people who come at somebody that they consider their inferior intellectually <laughs> they the pharisees were not nearly as smart as they were and they picked the wrong opponent because they misjudged him so we're going to luke 10 25 and behold a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him saying master what shall i do to inherit eternal life and he being jesus he said unto him what is written in the law how readest thou and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus said unto him, and he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. <clears throat> According to the law, and that's what they're discussing. This is, remember, this is the law before Jesus died. This is not what's taking place after Jesus' death, where you must believe on him. But according to the law, if you did this and you followed God's law, you inherited eternal life. So what is interesting here, if you go back to the very first verse, 1025, is that the lawyer calls Jesus master. But their hearts were far from their words. They did not call him master with any belief behind it. They sought to placate the people and not cause a, deter a disturbance, for the people saw Jesus' works. They heard Jesus' words, and they knew his testimony 
from his works and his words. They did not call him master truthfully. He was standing up, he was teaching, but he wasn't learned from their viewpoint. They called him master from a place of sarcasm and contempt, not out of love and respect. <clears throat> At no time did they consider an unlearned carpenter from the backwoods a master. They never did, and they never will. Never. Take a kid fresh out of college, send him out to a place where he thinks blue-collar workers are wetter that are beneath him or working, and see how he talks differently to them than he does to his professor. Go at all people equal. That's what Jesus did. But these men, they paid lip service. Even though he was changing hearts, he was changing minds, he was changing lives and healing people, they still only saw through the prism of their lens that he wasn't of them, that he wasn't the Messiah because they would know the Messiah, wouldn't they? Well, obviously not because he's standing in front of them. They never saw everything and put one and one together to equal two. What they saw, they put one and one together and they equaled three, an odd number. It was the wrong number. But Jesus, they never called him master truthfully. They never called him master out of love and respect. They called him master out of sarcasm and a fear of the people. So they placated the people and pacified them with this title, but they never meant it. Their heart was far from him. Luke 10, 29, the lawyer, but he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, who is my neighbor? See, he's still trying to trip him up. He was trying to justify himself because Jesus got the answer right. How many times does that happen when they go to somebody and they get the answer right, but they're not expecting them to? So now he's got to come up with a quick follow-up that he hasn't thought of, and he gives them a weak answer. He throws them a curveball, and Jesus is about to hit it out of the park. Jesus went, uh, oh, yeah, that's a nice little pitch right there. Boom, there it went. He did, too. That's in the Bible. You, got, you just got to read it. That's it. Jesus played softball. <laughs> so the lawyer asked Jesus a question again. And again, just as that term master he used was sarcasm, so was this question. He knew who his neighbor was, but he was trying to catch Jesus in a trap. He was trying to get a wrong answer. He was trying to get a blasphemous answer. He was trying to trip Jesus up so that he could then say he's no master at all to the people by forcing him to make a mistake. They never called him master truthfully with the heart. They called him master with the lips and a sense of deviousness behind it. Jesus knows who's being truthful. Jesus knows who's talking faithfully. But what he did was he made himself appear foolish. For any true Jew would know the answer to the first question. The law, the Ten Commandments, it was, it was, it was put into them from the day they were born, the Ten Commandments. It was there. Jesus knew that. He overrated the unlearned carpenter. Or excuse me, underrated the unlearned carpenter. And he overrated his own cleverness. He wasn't very clever at all. But any Jew would know the answer, and Jesus knew the answer, and he got it right. So the, 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 the lawyer wants to justify himself and try to seek a way back up where he just got, you know, put on the ground from Jesus' answer. So he says, well, who's my neighbor? Well, you know what the problem with that is? Is he's talking to the one who wrote 
the Old Testament, who knew what the intent behind the Old Testament was. Jesus had all the answers because he supplied the questions and the answers in the quiz. He really did. This lawyer was trying to impress everyone with his smarts, and all he does is show how little value he has for anyone that is not in his group or his intellectual peer. So Jesus then proceeds to tell a story. Now, I generally hate the word story when it comes to a, an account, but in this case, it really is a parable, a story that Jesus tells. And Jesus is about to teach the teachers. The unlearned carpenter is about to make them see what he sees. The lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? He's trying to justify his thoughts, his questioning, and his view. But Jesus wants him to see the big picture. So Luke 10, 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came, looked on him, and passed by on the other side. A priest saw him and passed on the other side. A Levite walked up, saw the man laying there, but not only did he pass on by, he walked back to the other side and passed by this man half dead in a ditch. A Levite and a priest, two of the most revered men in that society, and they looked on a man half dead in need of help, and they crossed the road and walked on as if they did not see him. They didn't call 911. They didn't yell for help. They saw a man in a ditch, and they walked on. They neither helped nor hindered. Don't get me wrong. They did not hurt the situation anymore, nor did they help the situation. And remember, a choice not to act is a choice nonetheless. They didn't do anything detrimental to the health of the man physically, but by walking by, they left him sentenced to die. They put their station, their convenience, their safety ahead of the man half dead on the road. A priest and a Levite, two of the most revered men in the Jewish society, they saw a man hurting half dead and they walked on. Now, they were not allowed to touch dead things. They weren't. The man was half dead. Jesus made that point specifically very clear. They walked on out of fear of their own convenience, their own timetable, their own business priorities, whatever you will. They walked on with their life instead of worrying about this man dying. It's very telling. Luke 10, 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, the man lying half dead, and when he saw him, he had compassion, brotherly love, concern for his situation. A Samaritan looked on a Jew and had compassion. Think about that, because we're going to tell you why that's so very odd. What is so very interesting here is that Jesus 
takes someone who is a Samaritan and using them in the and uses them in the same parable as the revered men. Now, why is this interesting? Because the Samaritans were considered lower than dogs by the Jewish people. The revered elite religious people, the leaders of the nation of Israel, saw the man and walked on by, but somebody that they held in contempt and would not give two thoughts for stopped and had compassion on this man. Think about that. The Samaritans were considered lower than dogs as they were mixed race, half Jewish, half Gentile. The Jewish folks hated and degraded the Samaritan people that Jesus chose to make the hero of the story. Jesus is talking to the scribes, the Pharisees, the lawyers, and he's telling a story. And he takes two of the most revered men in the nation positions and puts them in the story. Then he takes the most hated people in their nation and puts them in the story. And the most hated person of the people listening to the story is the hero. You think Jesus doesn't know what he's doing? He does. He's getting them thinking. He's getting their hearts. He's making them angry at him, but he's making them think. And that's what he's trying to do to you too. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, they all know that Jesus knows the Samaritan is hated. And they're sitting on the sidelines. They are. They're hearing this, and they are understanding where this story is pointed at. It's pointed right at them. They're the religious leaders. Just as they used words to try and trip him up, so too does Jesus use words to get his points across, and his words are not gentle and kind. This day and age, they're understanding what's happening. They understand what he's saying, and he's not being, bless you, my son. No, he's telling them, you all are leaving people to die in a ditch. Get up off your butts and go have some compassion on them. That's what he's saying. And they know it. But because they're not getting the message, he has a lesson that he's teaching them so very loudly in words and situations they will understand Luke 10, 33 again. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, the wounded man. When he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He took his own stuff and provided first aid. Then not only did he do that, he picked up this Jew that thoroughly hated it. And set him on his beast. And he walked. He's, the, the animal is carrying the wounded man. And he is walking. Do you under, He put himself completely out of his comfort zone. Completely out of his own convenience. To help this man. Do you see what's going on here? And he brought him to an end and took care of him. It doesn't say brought him to an end and dropped him off. Doesn't say brought him to an inn and got a doctor. Brought him to an inn and took care of him. This is the Samaritan. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay. He didn't say charge it back to this dude. He said, No, I'm going to take care of this bill. That's compassion. You wake Okay, so what often, so often gets lost in the story here 
is that there is a credit line established to pay for any future needs that were not covered. Think about that. The Samaritan did not just take him to the doctors and run. No, he paid the bill and the bill to come on his name, his credit, his sacrifice. Are you seeing the correlation here? He cared not one whit for the race of the man injured, the creed of the man injured, the education or the color of the man wounded half dead on the side of the road. He cared only for the person who was wounded, half dead and all alone in his misery and could not help himself. His concern and care did not end when they got to the end. That's fascinating. He didn't just pick him up and carry him to the hospital and walk away. He didn't. He didn't put the man in somebody else's hands and never get bothered with it again. He didn't. He took on this man's problem and made it his own, paid the price, and put a future credit against any other cost incurred. He paid for everything until this man was better, able to take care of himself. He didn't just say, here you go, see you next week. He took care of him and paid for the future cost. And when he said, when I come back, I will pay again. Another thought hit there. Think about that. This man must have been well-to-do. First, he had a beast. Second, he had money to pay. Third, when he said, put it on my credit and I will come back, the innkeeper didn't say, no, I need cash up front. The innkeeper said, yes, sir. That means the man had good faith, good testimony, and he had a reputation of paying his bills. Think about that. Not anyone, excuse me, not just anyone would have been given this line of credit. The innkeeper didn't balk. The man used his reputation, his money, to help this man lying in a ditch. This man thinks nothing of asking the innkeeper to charge all. All the wounded man needed. And the innkeeper thought nothing of it, knowing he would be paid for his services. That's where the credit, that's where the reputation comes in. He must have had a reputation. He must have been known. And it must have been a good reputation. What a great example of what a, a testimony and a reputation can do. Not just for you, but for those who know you and of you. If you walk down the road to where not everybody knows your face, but they know your name, are they going to give you a line of credit to help somebody in the ditch? It's important. Luke 10, 36, we now finish the discourse between Jesus and the lawyer. Which now of these three, Jesus is speaking to the lawyer, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said, and he said, he that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Who is my neighbor? The man lying in the ditch that has an eat. Who's my neighbor? The addict lying on the street. Who's my neighbor? The man across the road right now on Christmas Day that's got no family. They're my neighbor. I just moved here. I don't know any other people, so 
I'm, I'm kind of sort of being a hypocrite, but I really don't know any of them. Literally, we've been here for uh, three weeks now. Jesus asked, who was the neighbor? And the one who posed the question was the one who answered, the one that showed mercy on him. That's who your neighbor is. The one who needs mercy and grace. That's your neighbor. Jesus did not answer the question, did he? No. No, he showed a man the way through the heart. He was all about the people. And right here, he teaches the teachers about who is their neighbor. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers, they would walk by people lying on the ground begging alms. Unless somebody was watching, then they'd give them alms for their, but they wouldn't do it if nobody was watching. He knew who he was talking to. I fear we in the world today have forgotten who our neighbor is. A few weeks ago, we talked about whosoever. That term, whosoever, applies here to our neighbor. Whosoever is in need. Whosoever is lost in search of a savior. Whosoever has a hole in their heart, whosoever is empty and lonely, those are our neighbors. I've said it before, and it is so easy just to worry about our little group. It's now time to extend out of our comfort zone, extend a hand up to a lost and dying world. Can we die to self and live for our neighbors and show them Christ through us. I've often said, Jesus said, uh, no man hath love greater than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And that's true. But can you love them enough to lay down your life, die to self and live for others to see him? That's very, very hard. Dying for somebody is very easy. Living for them, that's hard. There's a world out there that's half dead. They're just waiting on death. I know many people who are going through the motions waiting on death. And no one is there to tell them of Jesus. The one who paid their debt while they were in that ditch left a line of credit in grace and mercy. They need to hear of this man, Jesus, that already paid for them. All they got to do is accept the free gift. And how will they hear if we don't tell them? How will they know if no one goes? They need to hear of this man, Jesus. They need some care. They need some comfort. They need some grace. And they need some mercy. Who is your neighbor? Whosoever, that's who your neighbor is. It is time to lift them up and carry them to the one who can heal them.